Once again, everybody, welcome to another joyous, ebullient, bouncy episode of Philly's Therapy, where we're still feeling our oats. We're still feeling pretty good about this baseball team, this team that's won 10 of 11 games with their only loss, um, as Matt and I were just discussing off air, uh, coming in a, a rather stinky bullpen game, which we can all write off and throw away. Who cares? They're beating up on some really bad teams, but does that necessarily mean that they're a fraud? As talk radio likes to say so much, it's probably their favorite word. Um, and JT Real Muto bouncing back like very few of us were kind of expecting at this point. I guess a lot of us thought catchers, you just reach a certain point and you just fall right over the edge. But he has refused to go quietly. And then Bryson Stott, the um, now heir ascendant to the shortstop throne for at least 2022, the unique phenomenon that that man has had of not really having good numbers, whether basic or advanced, anywhere you look, they don't really look great. And yet everybody in Philly is still on board with him. It's that's a little unique. We'll talk a little bit about that to help me with all of this, as always, from the Athletic Philadelphia, Mr. Matt Gell. Matt, good morning. How are you? And Paul, we both took a, each took our trips with families. You, you did a much longer one than me. And mm. uh good to get away yes it just even if it was for a few days but I'm, i want to start with one <clears throat> number that sticks out to me and that i feel like we're not talking enough about it like i feel like people are recognizing it but paul the phillies are 22 and 13 since bryce harper broke his thumb 22 and 13 22 and 13 louder for the folks in the back it's unbelievable that's 629 baseball i mean that's over a course of a full season that's a 102 win pace ish which we all saw coming when bryce got hurt i mean everybody out there like we're just nodding our heads along right like, oh yeah we expected that that's typical i mean it really <laughs> does speak to it, it's just a better roster right yes. i mean we look at the roster up and down and we say that this is as good of a roster as the phillies have built uh since since the since the glory days and and it's it's not about roster spots one through five or even 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. It's also about those 20 to 26, you know, roster spots. And yes, those spots are better. Derek Hall is slugging 612. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is exactly what you and I were talking about at the like early stages of the year. Like we, we knew this team was top heavy. We knew it needed work around the edges, that there was going to need to be some kind of reinforcement. Um on, on, on the fringes, on the margins, whatever term you want to use. And and they've done that. Not only that, but you combine it with some, you know, you could call them breakout. I mean, Derek Hall is certainly having a, a, a some sort of a breakout, even if you like look at the strikeouts and say, oh, he'll come down. Maybe he will. But this, this is a breakout. Um, you combine that with, you know, <laughs> you put all that together and you do have a better team. Like, I get that they've played bad teams. Like, you sweep the Pirates for four, okay. You sweep the Nationals, who are a husk of a baseball team for four. Okay. You split with the brave. Fine. That shouldn't take away from the fact that this is a better, like objectively baseball team than the one that started out in April. Well, let's, I know this is sloppy work and it's not the best way to apply value. And, and, but here, let's take Derek Hall, Garrett Stubbs, Nick Maton and Hiro Munoz. 
mm-hmm. four guys who fill those 20 to 26 roster spots. They've yep. totaled on baseball reference war two and a half wins. I mean, That's we're talking wild. about well above replacement level on spots in the roster where the Phillies were traditionally, at least in the last few years, getting below replacement value contributions. Well below, like well below those guys. I, I can't pick out exactly who was the worst among some of these, you know, reinforcement players. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, maybe. Torres had he, some big hits. He I did. He had some big that, hits. Yeah. He, he had he had some nice play, you know, especially last year. And we'll remember him as having better seasons than he had, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, they they never got this sort of stuff, especially not from multiple players at the same time. The fact that Derek Hall is a hundred plate trips in and still slugging over six hundred is wild to me. I never would have thought that he would still be doing that. Like it was nice when he came up in the first week and he popped a couple of homers for his first couple of hits. And you're like, Oh, well, that's cool. You know, maybe this is his, uh, maybe this is his Chris Shelton moment where he just kind of, you know, appears briefly. I'm dating myself with these references, but I keep coming back to Chris Shelton who famously for the Detroit Tigers many years ago, uh, came out just absolutely blasting home runs in April. And then, you know, was almost never heard from again after that season. Anyway, Derek Hall is making it work. Maybe it's just the deployment, the fact that he's always getting the platoon advantage, but he's he's crushing the baseball. When was the last time they called up a reinforcement just in a, you won't call it a panic move because it wasn't that, this was calculated, but they call up a guy for a strategic, like micro-focused purpose, and it's just worked. It's just flat out worked. I can't I can't think of something comparable to this in the last few years. They just haven't had that kind of guy come up and be deployed this way to just work immediately and consistently for this long stretch of time. Is Kyle Garlic like the face of like we're below replacement level for the last oh, few years? Man. Only because he's actually done really Sean Rodriguez. How about yeah. that one? That's a good one. Yeah, Sean Rodriguez might be might be a good example of that. Um Kyle Although Garlick, Sean Rodriguez is probably above. I mean, I know people yeah. Andrew Knapp will be the one that people remember well, the most just because he lasted forever. Yeah. He lasted forever and he got put into some pinch hit plate appearances that a backup catcher <laughs> shouldn't get always, put into. But uh, always Andrew Knapp in the big spot. What about how about Matt Joyce? That's a good one. You know, Matt Joyce uh, I, I liked the Matt Joyce signing at the time as a non as a non-roster invitee. I really did. I thought that was the right kind of move. You know, like what we're talking about now with moves that have paid off, you know, you can lump Andrew Bellotti and that kind of thing where he's actually paid off. I thought Matt Joyce was going to pay off. I kind of did too. I didn't think he was going to just disintegrate and then have his career be over. Like I, (laughs) I thought that one was going to work. And there were so many of those sprinkled in that you just thought, Oh, okay. That's, that seems like the right kind of marginal move. That that's not a bad idea. It almost harkens you back to, you know, some of the, some of the experimental spring training invitees who did not make the team, you know, guys like Luis Castillo, um, the old Luis Castillo, Dontrell Willis, Francisco Rodriguez, you know, trying to pick up on some of the, the more washed up guys and maybe snatch a little bit of uh, like a little bit of something, a little bit of magic in the bottle. Maybe it was the, the Pedro Martinez hangover. Um, And it just, it, it didn't work and it just never worked. They're going to Cincinnati next week, and mm-hmm. all I can think of about Cincinnati, there's three things I think about Cincinnati now with the Phillies. Okay. The first is Jeremy Hellickson starting consecutive opening days in Cincinnati, which is really the nadir, why I feel is, like. Why is but, that? Okay. What? 
<laughs> what are the other two? <laughs> and then the other the other two are Nick Vincent blowing consecutive oh, games no. on the road in Cincinnati. Uh, it, was, it must have been September of 19, 2019. Yeah, that sounds right. And then the other one I remember is Neftali Feliz blowing consecutive oh, games no. in Cincinnati last year. No. Yeah. Really, if I think about Cincinnati, the thing I think about is probably the, one of the greatest postseason pitching performances I've ever seen was Cole Hamels' complete game, uh, game, game three, three of the yep. NLDS in 2010. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a tremendously pitched game. I mean, that was just that, that they, they started out that series with a no hitter and then Cole finished it in game three. And that was just a total I mean, one of the most dominant postseason series ever. Oh, it was an absolute washout. Yeah, I, the, that Hamill start kind of gets forgotten, and, and I guess rightfully so because of the Halliday no hitter. That so was, good. you know, that's so unbelievable. Good. But yeah, Hamill's Hamill's absolutely wiped them up, and that was that was tremendous. And that was a Reds team that could really hit. By yeah. the way, you know, sure. we're we're talking about prime Joey Votto, Jay Bruce situation. Like these guys, it's Scott Rowland. Like these get Scott Rowland struck out to end the game. Like these these are not. <laughs> this is not the current Reds that you know can can vanish for weeks at a time with their offense and, and Joey Bottoms. Oh, that was the last time the Phillies won a postseason series. Yes, it was. And I'm just looking up that it was a complete game shutout, five mm-hmm. hits, no walks, nine strikeouts for Cole mm-hmm. in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is it crazy? You, you, you've you been posting the, the postseason odds on Twitter every now and then from different sources. <laughs> I can't help it. Yeah, No, I know. And, and, it, and it, you look at it and you're just kind of Yes, because there's six teams, I, I think it's probably a little more skewed. But I, I was sure. thinking in the back of my head, like, have they been higher uh, in recent years? And I, I'm guessing this late in the season. And I'm oh, guessing they were. No. No. no, no. I mean, I, I, I would think maybe in the first Gabe year they approached some of these yeah. numbers. Yeah. I don't know about in the 90s. I think I think maybe they peaked in the in the 70s. I'd have to go back and look it up. I, I want to say they reached the 70s, somewhere in the 70s. I don't think they ever reached the 90s. And some of some of the projections still have, you know, the ones that this is talking really high level and broadly, like these these systems are a little more complex than this. But you look at, you know, fan graphs and baseball prospectus, they put a lot of weight on what they expected to happen preseason. And they keep things a bit a bit tamped down as the season goes on. Like they, they pull, they pull in season performance back a little bit toward what they expected preseason. And that's why they're a little bit lower. That's at least how I read these things. You look at baseball reference for one, uh, baseball reference really likes to look at, um, performance up to this date and what's left. They don't really factor in preseason quite as much. And that's why that number is a little bit higher because the Phillies are right now, you know, they're ahead of one team in the playoff race and they're looking pretty good. They banked wins. They have a run differential that supports where they are. They're, they're looking good. Um, I don't believe they've had a team with this set of postseason odds, you know, 70 up into the nineties. I want to say, I looked at the the page today. I'm pulling up at 91.3 on baseball reference right now, hmm. updated after yesterday's games, because every game has an impact with, with, 3.9% to win the World Series, you know, hang in there. Um, no, I don't think I don't think they've reached these levels. I could be wrong. It certainly hasn't felt like they've earned this kind of probability to this point. It always felt more tenuous than it currently does. I feel better about this team, this 2022 team, than I did at any point with any of the last 
three teams at least. I really do. This just feels like a better team. It feels like a different team. Something about it is just different than the last few years. That's fair. And I remember this feeling at alumni weekend last year when Zach Wheeler pitches that, that complete game against the mm-hmm. Mets on the final day and it's, yeah. it's holidays day. And you're like, Holy crap. Like there's something going on here and they totally cratered. And, and I agree that, that, that it is a different feeling right now. I did look like August 16th, 2019, they were uh, six games over 500. Mm-hmm. So not, not as good, but they were uh, tied for, they were in postseason position at that point. They were tied for a, po- the, for the second wild card. Mm-hmm if I'm looking at this right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, they had a negative run differential at that point uh, <laughs> at 64 and 58. And they, you know, were, were, were mostly mirage and that, oh um, my God. you know, yeah. we saw that bear bear out in the final six weeks of the season, but I agree. I mean, this feels different. It feels um, like they, they just have a better team and, and it, and it's not just a feeling. I mean, you can look at up and down the roster and it is a better team than they have assembled in recent years. And I think, uh, I know everyone is just kind of looking over their shoulder, kind of wondering what's going to happen. How is this going to fail? And and it's just because there's, you know, so many scars from the last few years, but right, right. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. And I think I'm curious to see what, you know, what September looks like at citizens bank park. Like, I wonder, you know, are we going to see more people come out? Are we, is it going to be a different kind of energy and vibe? Uh, you know, people have been hurt by this team for a decade, and I totally understand that. So I know if people are going to be slow to come back or slow to get on board with this team, I, I get it. Um, and, and I think this week is going to be really fun, Paul, because like they're going to face three of the best pitchers in the league. And, and if people mm-hmm. are skeptical because they've been beating up on not so good teams, I, I totally understand that. You know, we're going to find out a lot about them this week. They get Sandy Alcantara on Wednesday. They get Max Scherzer on Friday and they get Jacob deGrom on Saturday. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a challenge, but it also gives us a really good measuring stick to see, okay, like right now they're the fifth best team in the league. Maybe they're, maybe they're not that maybe they're the sixth best team. Maybe they're better than the fifth best team. I don't know. Like, I think we're going to see how they handle really good pitching this week and it's going to be a great test. And even if they come out of it, not having done well, they're probably still like the sixth best team in the league. And that gets them in the playoffs. And I think that's, you know, in the end, that was the goal. And even if they get in via a spot that did not exist prior to the season, so be it, I guess. Well, a large part of why they've been able to weather this storm, it's actually even better than weathering the storm without Harper, uh, has been lately the resurgence of an unlikely hero who we we might have thought was... uh, you know, about ready to be turned over on the grill and cooked on the other side. Uh, Mr. JT Rimuto, the catcher, everybody's favorite catcher, JT, catcher. just taters, Mr. Five Years, looked like uh, a bit of a source of consternation earlier in the season. Well, guess what? In the last 28 calendar days, which for JT is 16 starts, um, so in his last 16 starts, JT is a slash of a 386 batting average, a 453 on base percentage, and a 790, 790 slugging percentage with eight strikeouts in 64 plate appearances. That is a 1.243 OPS in 16 games from a guy who we thought was in a bit of trouble. We thought, oh, catching position. 
we got a yank on our collars a little bit here. It's time to start sweating it out. And JT goes, no, not so fast, my friends. This guy, actually, I would trace this back to Matt, your piece, uh, where JT was asked pretty pointedly, like, where's the power? How does the power come back? (laughs) Hello, here's the power. Oh, by the way, he's also stolen 13 bases this year without getting caught. Uh, We were just looking this up again before taping. And the last catcher to really even steal 10 bases in a completed season without getting caught was Johnny Bench back in 1975. Uh, still a little bit of season to go. JT might get caught, but that's that's what we're talking about there with that. <laughs> um, so JT's back. Does that feel good? Well, of course it feels good. Does it feel... Hmm. You know what? I'll just rephrase. Matt... How does it feel to have JT back from the dead and hitting like uh, he's 26 again? Even if you want to go further back, Paul, like if you want to go back to since Bryce went down, mm-hmm. you know, this is 27 starts for JT. Okay. And he's 333 with a 389 on base and a 635 slog. Oh, yeah, I mean, baby. So we're looking at, you know, mm-hmm. more than a month of really elite uh, power performance. Yep. And I think that's what we were all kind of wondering about. You know, last year, JT sacrificed some slug for a little more on base. Some of it was with a wrist thing. Some of it was mechanical that he just never got himself out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and credit to him. I mean, I think a lot of it was was a timing mechanical thing this year. And he put in a lot of work behind the scenes. And I think he he, he really clawed his way out of it. And, you know, I, I think the question is like, what well, what what is JT not just for the rest of this year, but moving forward, he'll be uh, 32 next year. Mm-hmm. And, and and like, if this is it, like if this is what you're going to get, even if you get a little less than what you're getting, I mean, this is, this is really good. I mean, this is like still yes, one is. of, if not the best catchers in the sport. Good. Yep. And that's why they gave him what they gave him. And that's also why they traded Logan O'Hoppy for a younger player that better fit on the roster now and next season. And even the season after that, Mm-hmm. It, it's why they did all of that. And like quietly, like Rafael Marchand has been, you know, solid at AAA. And I, I don't know that Marchand is ever anything more than a, a big league backup, but that's okay. That's um, fine. You know, I, I kind of thought Marchand was, a, he was definitely a trade piece and he could be a trade piece again this off season because Stubbs has played well too. You know, Stubbs has probably earned himself, right? The backup job next season too, right? Definitely. I, I, right now, absolutely, I would think so. And Subs is 26, 27. He's mid-late 20s. So he's he's still got some tread on the tires. So, I mean, we were all wondering, like, where does the power come from when Bryce goes down? And and, and like you mentioned before, Derek Hall uh, has supplied a, a really, you know, really solid amount of power from the middle of the lineup. But Stubbs is 29, by the way, just to correct myself. But JT has been has really been one of the bigger sources. And, and we were wondering, and rightfully so, like, what is this guy moving forward? What is he like? And you still look at the season numbers, and he's slugging 443, which is, you know, still quite a bit down, about 50 points down from where he would sit, you know, through 18 through 20, 2018 through 2020. And uh, there's still more in there, I think. Uh, but but to be where he's at now after, you know, really uh, having no power for, for the first two and a half months of the season, almost first three months, I mean, when Bryce went down, JT was slugging 364, and he's now almost raised that by 80 points. So, uh, in in just about six weeks, so that that's 
less than six weeks. I mean, that, that's that's remarkable and it really speaks to what he's been doing. And, and it's it's really the opposite field. And, and I went back and looked. He mentioned to me when we were in Pittsburgh, he said, just go look at some of the balls I hit to the opposite field, you know, in mid-June and early July. And a lot of them were just kind of dying at the warning track or even ahead of, you know, a little bit before the warning track. And now those balls are going off the wall or over the wall. And he's like piling up triples and homers. And uh, it, it's it's really fun because like when you watch JT go the other way, uh, it, it's a it's really beautiful. I mean, yes. it's such a great power swing to the opposite field. And I know he was a beneficiary of, of kind of the, the, the juicier ball. I don't think there's a question about that. Uh, because it was helping guys who relied on oppo power more than others, I think. Mm-hmm. But he's showing us right now that like he can make it work. And, and anecdotally, it seems like the ball is flying a little more right now. It's probably because of the yeah. weather conditions, right? Maybe, sure. maybe. <laughs> I no, I I see it. Too. I see it too. The the ball the ball thing is just that's a topic for probably a, a different show altogether. I know there. There are people who study the, this baseball, like Dr. Meredith Wills um, does a lot of really good work uh, actually analyzing the composition of these baseballs and has pointed out multiple times um, that, we're, that we're looking at, you know, two, sometimes three different compositions of baseballs within the same season over the last couple of years, which is maddening to me, but I, I don't want to get too far into that. Uh, how much of this, how much of this JT resurgence do you think comes from just a little bit more rest because I'm, I'm looking at his game log, right? And this doesn't count calendar days off. I'm just looking at, you know, games that he was resting where he did not play in a game. Um, so it's a little bit imperfect and there are a couple of calendar days off in the mix here, but uh, I'm looking through the game log and April through June, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games off. Mm-hmm. through June as a catcher. He was never on the injured list, but he only got those nine games off from July through now. And plus an all-star break, mind you, he's already had six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Two of those were mandated. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. But they, they're rest, right? I think it has a huge part of it. And, 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 and Rob Thompson has acknowledged as much, but then I asked the follow up and the natural follow up is like, Okay, well, how does that apply moving forward? And, and and it makes Rob Thompson like the third manager now that JT has had here in Philly, who has been like, I think he could benefit from a little more rest. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that because managers really like playing JT Real Muto. Because I get it. So I get it, man. And, and like the drop off is less to his backup this year, but it's still really big. Sure. <laughs> the drop off from JT to, to Garrett Stubbs is big. Sure. Uh, it was bigger before, but it's still big. And it's hard to sit this guy and it's not because he goes in there and like, you know, flips over the desk when he's not playing. It's because right. the ma- it's hard for the manager to sit the guy. It's hard for the manager to be like, you know, like I'm, I'm going to take out one of my better, you know, defenders and, and, you know, one of my better, uh, you know, power uh, hitters right now out of the lineup. I'm just going to sit him. Yeah. I do think though, that he has benefited from more rest. Thompson acknowledged it. JT doesn't because he doesn't want to. And I still think I, I checked <laughs> this last week and I don't know what it's like now, but he'd still, he'd caught like five full games more than, you know, innings worth right. uh, than the next closest, which is crazy. Even with all lot. this recent rest, like he's still, he's still caught more innings than any catcher by a lot. And it is, it is again, one of the things that makes him great. Like when you look at the end, 
you know, the, the reason why war really likes him, I think is because he plays so much behind the plate right. that, that, that matters war, obviously the, the more you play, you know, the, the more that is going to help your war accumulations. And, uh, it's certainly, uh, availability is, is a, is a very great attribute for a catcher, especially, but for any player in his early thirties, availability is a key and JT is a, is available almost always. And so down the stretch, I think he's going to play a lot. Uh, could he benefit from maybe one extra day? I think what was the issue was that he was going, you know, 10 to 12 days without sitting. Whereas most catchers will sit once a week. Maybe you see him sit once a week. You know, they've been a little more strategic with the days off. Uh, you know, I think you'll see him sit Thursday, the Marlins, the Marlins game on Thursday, cause it's a day game. And then that allows him to, you know, to be right in there against Scherzer and DeGrom on Friday and Saturday. So, so Thursday to me is a sensible day to sit him even after getting Monday off this week, like in the past, you know, maybe Gabe or Joe would have looked at this week and said, Oh, you know what? JT got his day. He got Monday. Cause we didn't play. Mm-hmm. He's going to play. He's going to play day game after a night game. He's going to play every game this week. Maybe he doesn't play Sunday. I think the way they can structure this is that if you want JT out there Sunday against the Mets, day game after night game, well, let's sit him Thursday, day game after night game against the Marlins, and he gets Monday and Thursday off, and he plays through the weekend. It makes sense to me. I mean, obviously, I'm not the manager, but yeah, I like it. This is a guy who does need to rest. Yeah, yeah, you just need a little smarter, a tick smarter, and because he 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 is not the guy he once was. Like, let's it let's he he might not want to admit that. No one might want to admit that, but he's 31. He's going to be 32 next year. Like mm-hmm. what he's doing catching wise is, is, is very rare. I mean, Yachty Molina and Sal Perez, like as they've gotten into the thirties have, have shouldered huge workloads and it's starting to catch up to both those guys. Obviously sure. they're older than JT, but uh, you know, as you get older, like it requires a changing some of the way you handle the guy. And it doesn't, it's not like a knock on him. He's not any less durable, no. but you're trying to get a little more out of him. And because you have, you know, because you have a better backup, like that's okay to do. Well, the ca- the catcher is the running back of the baseball team, right? You look at you look at NFL players now. Running backs have have such a short shelf life, where they're you know slightly different. Running backs are really only expected to be good for about four or five years these days. Catchers, you can expect a little bit more out of them, but mm, not as much as you could like a first baseman or somebody else. You know, um, we do we do have to expect discretion, I guess, in this deployment, like you're talking about, it really is going to require some thought on the coaching staff's part and Thompson's part to be able to juggle that. I think what's going to be interesting as we go down the stretch run and, you know, Real Muto's rest continues to be important, but as, you know, thinking ahead, when Harper comes back, maybe in a month, I know timelines are still kind of weird with this guy, but let, let's say it's within a month. Somewhere around September 1st. Yeah. 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 So three, three, four weeks. I'm looking at the lineups the team has used recently over, you know, this this hot streak that they've had with, you know, 10 wins in 11 games. And let's see, two, four, six, eight. In their last nine games, last 10 games, actually, the top three in the order has been exactly the same. It's been Schwarber, Hoskins, Bohm. Eight of those games in the middle also included JT batting cleanup and Castellanos batting fifth. That is a remarkable amount of consistency in a lineup for this team that has not had a lot of that for years. They're, they've been juggling lineups. They've been juggling positions. They've been juggling, you know, players on the roster. This has not been the team of 
you know, Rollins, Victorino, Utley, Howard, where you could just expect those four guys all the time, every day at the top of the order. It's been, it's been a bit of a, a, a goose chase trying to track down a bit of consistency, but it's worked players, maybe not universally, but some of them really like that kind of consistency and that fixed expectation of where they're going to hit in the order on a given day. As Harper comes back, I am not just to cut myself off. I am not looking to turn this into a strange, like, Oh, is bringing Harper back a bad thing? Is it going to disrupt some country? Because that's insane. Bryce Harper is a really good baseball player and getting him back is going to help this team. So don't twist what I'm about to say here. Is Harper coming back going to disrupt anybody? Is it going to uh, maybe... (sighs) I feel ridiculous even asking the question because I just, I like what they found. I like the consistency. I want Harper back right in the middle of it and he's going to be right back in the middle of it. There's nothing bad that can happen from that, right? Like it, it's not going to make anybody feel uncomfortable and have to feel like they need to readjust to a new position in the order once he does come back. Is it, am I just being insane for even throwing this out there? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right, good. Thank but, you. but I think like <laughs> what it does though, is that it gives you that lefty bat in the middle there. Sure. Right. I mean, if you want to keep Schwarber and Hoskins where they are, it also gives you some options. Like maybe you want to move Bohm up top. Like maybe Bohm, you look at Bohm and say, okay, here's our here's our legit 300 hitter who's not hitting for like too much power. Like let's put him at the top and let's put Hoskins second and let's put Harper third and let's put Schwarber fourth mm. and then JT fifth and Castiano sixth. All of a sudden, Nick Castellanos is hitting sixth for you. <laughs> I yeah, mean, and yeah, you take I take that. I think that's great. I mean, that's I, one idea. That's just yeah. one idea. And I, and I think it, I, you know, I, I think they might want to stick with Schwarber where he is. I get it. Like he, he's got good juju there. I, I understand sure. it. But if you moved him down to a more uh, traditional power producing spot, not, not the worst idea in the world. And because Bohm, if Bohm keeps hitting about a 300 clip, you know, without a lot of walks and without a lot of pop kind of, you know, kind of fits up top. Right. Sure. I mean, I, I like my leadoff guy to have a bit more of a, a discerning eye. So I get the Schwarber thing. Even if he's not batting real high, he can still work a walk. And his, you know, his on-base percentage is fine. It's not really ideally what you want from an on-base guy. But he works the kind of at-bats that you think could work. I think in the future, that's Bryson Stott's spot. I agree. Um, yeah. But that's not that's not for this year. Um, I think that would be fine. I love the way Alec Bowman is swinging the bat right now. I love it, love it, love it. I, like, this is the guy. And we haven't even talked about Segura. Like, does no. Segura end up going back up top? Or maybe you have luxury no. where Gene Segura is batting seventh for you. I it, it feels insane to say, yeah, yeah, I like Segura batting seventh. But I, I think he's fine down there. Maybe if you maybe if you reach a skid, maybe if, you know, maybe if it Just leaves Bowman again up. for a little while. Yeah. yeah, maybe you switch things up. If you give somebody a day, maybe if you're giving Bowman the day um, and, you know, you don't want to batch four up there. He's hot in the fourth or fifth spot after move. Then he puts the girl up there, whatever. Like that's, that's all fine. That's a nice thought experiment. I, I think it's great to have options pure and simple, you know, like, yeah. And they can play the matchups. Yeah. People have been asking me like, what happens with Derek Hall? And like, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think Hall's the kind of guy who you carry in September when you go to 28 yes. men and you have to, and I do believe, and I, and somebody can check me on this. I think you have to stay 14 and 14. 14 pitchers, 14 hitters, even when the rosters expand. You can't expand. Right. I think so. You can't expand by two pitchers in September. It's going to be one pitcher. Mm-hmm. So Hall is the, you know, to me, Hall is the kind of guy you carry in September as your, as your, you know, your extra bench bat. 
and he's a guy if you need to you know if you need to come up and and you know get an extra base hit against a righty late in the game he's your guy yeah and i think that's gonna save somebody like nick maton when the rosters expand too right because harper's gonna come back and take one of those spots for sure but that might preserve nick maton's spot on this bench i mean it, it it keeps you a little lefty heavy still with your options that's fine whatever i still think nick maton right now is the better option than like munoz you know especially with shuffling that spot you know like munoz goes and plays every day for for two weeks at triple a maton gets sporadic at bats and i mean he's you know he's made the most of those at bats in the majors crushing it right now yeah you know it's hard like you know it's a way to keep bench guys sharp i know teams have always struggled this is like how do you keep a bench guy sharp especially a guy like maton who's not he's never really been a bench guy like for a prolonged period so you have him go play triple a for every day for three weeks and then you bring him up and have him on the bench for a couple weeks then you swap him i mean if you want to i don't know like maybe maton keeps uh, justifying his place on his roster he certainly has right now it's been really really good absolutely and this is the kind of churn i've been talking about too like this it's, is it's quality depth. churn it's depth like hiram yes. Munoz is you know whatever but like he's a 26 man he's he's been good this year he's capable he fills a role he can he can hit a lefty there you go yep exactly right Speaking of Bryson Stott, I, we just touched on him briefly when talking about the batting order. I, I think there's a really interesting thing happening with Bryson Stott so far this season. Bryson Stott, to me, I'm just looking at his numbers. I'm looking at his performance. I'm looking at his uh, savant page. I'm I'm trying to look at really every angle I can when thinking about the kind of season that Bryson Stott has had so far. And when I look at these numbers when I take a look at what he's done this season, I see a guy who by very, very few measures has had a good season. (laughs) Very, very few. He is right now on an absolute roll with making contact. Like he's, he's, you know, Nelly Fox, Luis Arias, like really, really hard to strike out right now. And that, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, baby. Um, Nelly Fox had some amazing walk to strikeout numbers. Go look him up if you haven't heard of him. Um, but nothing else about his numbers, his expected numbers, his hard hit numbers, his overall numbers, just looking at, you know, his slash. None of that really looks good. You look at that and you wonder, like, uh, how good a season is he really having? And yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of all these numbers and the underlying numbers that, that don't look great, he has the belief and the faith of this fan base. I don't think anybody has turned on Bryson Stott despite him having what could be on the whole measured as a disappointing year. And I'm trying to figure out what makes Bryson Stott a unique case among this fan base, because we have been way less forgiving with better stretches of baseball. I'm, I am not pillaring Bryson Stott here. I count myself among those people who believe I look at his numbers right now and I think, oh, he's, he's better than that. He's having a better season than that. I believe in him moving forward. I don't I don't look at these. This is a bad season. And I'm trying to figure out, Matt, help me. Why do we look at Bryson Stott as somebody we have this much faith in and belief in, not just in the future, but this season, despite all of these numbers really looking not great? I think it's a couple things. One, is it because he's Bryce's boy? I don't know. Well, maybe two. I think it's just the the eye test, right? It's the quality, it's the progression in the quality of the at bats. Like, let's Mm. it's it feels like forever ago, but let's try to remember what he looked like in April. 
Okay. It's hard to remember what he looked like in May. Okay. The at bats were not good, and it wasn't just the numbers weren't good. The quality of the at bat was was poor. Yeah. It was not competitive at bat. He was getting beat by just about anything. Uh, you know, elevated fastballs. You know, off speed pitches in the dirt. Uh, it was not good. Right. I think because the quality of the bat has improved greatly, and I know the the results haven't necessarily been there for him all the time. He does give you a good at bat. I, I think that's we can universally say that at this point. Agree. Agree. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It gives yep. you a really good at bat, and I think that's why people are willing to, to give him a pass. You, you posted a great uh, graph on on Twitter, Paul. Like you know, just looking at his just his contact rate, but also his, his contact rate, uh, you know, in the zone. Like he's yep. he's swinging at, at strikes. He's swinging at yep. better pitches. He's making better decisions at the plate. And I think generally, if you're if you're a fan who follows this team every day, you you, you can see that with your eyes. And you look up at the stat line, you're like, eh. but then you throw out, I know it doesn't work this way. You take, let's take him since June one. Okay. Okay. 204 plate appearances, 22 mm-hmm. strikeouts. That's it. 17 walks. I think because he hasn't struck out a lot. I think people like that. He puts the ball in play. He does put the ball in play. Yeah. You know, am I pandering here? I mean, is that do people like it because he's not always just going up there and striking out, but you know, he's got a 695 OPS since June one. Not, not good. Also like not, terrible i guess like not as terrible as the season line looks i mean it's 100 points higher than the season line he's a rookie i don't know it is a weird dynamic you're right because like young players have come up to this franchise in recent years and have done better than this and they've kind of been tossed aside and i just i guess i keep coming back to the quality of the at bat and Mm -hmm. and him passing the eye test more uh maybe that's it i don't know the, the defense is really helping, I think. He's also had a couple of big hits. Like, that, that'll help. Big hits, yeah. That'll help cleanse the palate for sure. I'm doing a bit of an arbitrary cutoff here, but since June 23rd, which was the start of the Padres series, if you can think back that far, um, sometimes I struggle to do that. He's, he's made 35 starts and has 135 plate appearances and only struck out nine times. Nine times in 135 plate appearances against 12 walks. Now, overall... He's only got a 700 OPS, 709 OPS in those 135 plate appearances. So it's like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He's he's putting the ball in play, sure. I, I think, but he's not. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, like, it's so strange to it me. It is strange, and it's, and I also think though, like the expectations. He was a first round pick, and so like the yes. expectations are high. But he's kind of doing what I I I think he's going to be. Like I think he's going to be a really solid everyday guy. I I don't mm-hmm. know that he's ever going to be an all star. Maybe he'll have you know, one all-star season. I don't think he's going to be a star player, but they, they, they just have needed young players to come up and be capable of, of, of staying on the field every day. And he has done that. I mean, he has been yeah. slightly above replacement level, just slightly for most of the season. And that's after a horrendous April. I mean, truly horrendous. Uh, he's, he's done that. He has done enough to stay on the field every day uh, and, and give you, you know, a little something every week. It's not enough, but it's a little something, and that's okay. Like that, the bar is pretty low, you know. Like because, like we've talked about, it's a top-heavy team. So if you can get a young player who can hold down an everyday role, pretty good. His defense at second base, I think, is exceptional. It's great. It yeah. really is. And I think, I, again, I think that that's where he ends up. Like I don't know how it'll how it'll end up that way. I know people in the organization ha- keep getting on me because I. I I've written that and I've said that, you know, there's questions about whether he's an everyday shortstop in the bigs, whether he has enough range to do it. 
I think he has enough smarts. I think we've seen that. He has enough, you know, work ethic. We've seen that. He is that. very smart, yes. I, I just don't know that, like, I don't know that he sticks every day shortstop. And I also think, this is a whole other conversation, but the new, the new shift rules, whenever they happen, it's yes. going to make range important again. Uh, range is not necessarily as important as it's been because you can cover up some lack of range with defensive positioning now. Yes. Uh, I think range is going to become a very important thing again uh, in constructing middle infields. And I think you'll see teams start to uh, value defense over offense at shortstop, which is something that has not necessarily been the case in the last 10 years, right? I I am curious to see how everything is going to hold up defensively across the league, not just with, you know, guys like Bryson Stott, because I, I agree. I, I think there is the potential for a big shift to happen. Huge. <laughs> Good. Yes. Go figure. Pun yes. not Use that word. Huge. Um, and that's why I was talking to Stott and Boehm about this, just like, just in the passing, we were just hanging out in the clubhouse. I think it was the day of the trade deadline. And, uh, I was asking them like, what would they prefer? Cause there's two different iterations of the rule. It seems like, and they're not going to do both at the same time. I don't think, but uh-huh. the iterations are you can only the infielders can only stand on the dirt and you can position them wherever you want. You can have four guys on the right side if you want, but they all have to be on the dirt. No or, short right outfield situation. Right. Or you can only second base is a demarcation. The bag is a demarcation and you can only have two infielders on each side, but they can stand wherever you want. They can stand in the grass. They can stand in the dirt wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think both of them like the idea of of just keeping two guys on each side. Um, and, and being able to stand out in short, right. Um, and then making teams, you know, forcing teams to make that decision. It's like, what are you going to give up? Like, where are you going to concede? Are you going to concede, you know, the traditional second base spot, or are you going to concede short right field? And, uh, I think that's really interesting. For sure. And just to touch back on, on, um, a point I made a couple of minutes ago, I can cite, you know, that's weirdly. I guess I'll say disappointing, but his underperformance, maybe I'm still not sure how to classify this season, but it, contrasting that with my, my view of the future of him as, as a leadoff guy, th- those two things seem to, to clash when you just Correct. look at him on the surface, what you talked about with good at bats, good swing decisions. This is not a guy necessarily who's going to go up there and, you know, post a, a, a four thirty on base percentage and, and set the table all the time. No, it's fine. doesn't need to. If you have somebody who you're not wasting a ton of power at the top, right? Because even if he only slugs 400 for whatever, that that's fine. You take that. If you have a guy who atop your lineup can wait for strikes, swing at his pitch, find the right opportunities to you know let it rip. The fact that he can put the ball in play the way he does really makes me excited for what he might continue to grow into you know, he is in his mid twenties. Now there is only so much growth he has left. You would think, even though he's only a rookie where that's the kind of guy I want at the top of the lineup. It doesn't necessarily have to be a guy who grinds at bats into a fine powder until he draws a walk. That's great. Whatever. There's an advantage to having a guy near the top of the lineup who. Um, you, you hear a lot about putting pressure on the defense with base running. Well, you can put pressure on the defense with balls in play, and especially with the shift rules that you're talking I, yeah, about. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a dinosaur here, and I'm not trying to, but I believe that putting the ball in play will be at a premium next season because with 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 ever whatever shift rule they adopt, and we believe that they're going to adopt one of them, uh-huh. putting the ball in play will be uh, will be paramount again. It's going to be rewarded. 
And also, so if you look at his Savant page real quick, to your point, Paul, you know, he's 94th percentile in whiff rate, 74th percentile in strikeout rate, 75th percentile in chase rate, all good indicators for a guy who could bat at the top. 47th percent yeah. in walk rate, not great, but not terrible. Not terrible. Um, and you're looking at no. a guy who, like you said, you're excited about the future because it's hard to teach good swing decisions. Like that's something that's hard to develop, hard to teach. You can teach him to, you know, maybe drive the ball a little better or, or, you know, be on time a little more for certain pitches, but those swing decisions and, and the fact that he's shown improvement like he has in the big leagues, this just in one calendar year, you know, just in six months, really less than that. Um, that's encouraging. All of that is encouraging. It, it, it's, it's all projects to a, a solid everyday guy who's batting at the top of, of, a, of a competitive lineup. And I think that's a, that's a really valuable player for them. Love it. Lots of reasons to be excited right now. Big week coming ahead for the Phillies as they take on some much stiffer competition than the Pirates and Nationals. Uh, as much as we, we might be sort of dreading faccing Alcantara, DeGrom, and Scherzer, in a calendar week uh that's a little overwhelming but it's that. Nah, it's gonna be good it's gonna be fun yeah 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 no I, I i am a little nervous but it's hey look they have momentum right now right and we talk a lot about momentum as baseball fans it in baseball your momentum is only as good as what did they say the next day starting pitcher Correct. or the next game like it doesn't it doesn't actually last that long but right now you can see it on their faces you can see it on the field this team feels good they feel good about the way they're playing they're playing good baseball even if they don't really come into this stretch with a record, you know, as well as we'd hope, maybe they only split it. Maybe they go two and four in these next uh, six divisional games. They have a chance at the end of the month to really pick up more steam again and rebound from that because they face more bad teams in the Reds, Pirates and Diamondbacks and maybe even the Giants by that point. I'm not sure how far they're going to fall out of it, but there's a chance to rebound and get into that September push that we were talking about. Uh, where maybe they fill the park a little bit more coming off the back of a, a, a West Coast road trip where they do well. We'll have to see. First things first, got to take care of business against some of the best pitchers in the game. Um, but if any team is going to do it, this version, this recent version of the Phillies is one I feel really good about doing it. We didn't even get into the idea that they're playing too well and that you don't want to be the five seed because then you're going to have to face the Braves. No, I hate that. I, <laughs> I hate that because look, Man, it's been 11 years. I don't care. I Make agree. the playoff. I Just agree. get in. I, I don't yeah. care. And you know what? You know what? If they face the Braves or they face the, I don't care. You can't get the opportunity to really feel good about, say, eliminating your division rival from the playoffs unless you actually play them. It'd be like, a hell of a way, a hell of a way to end the, the drought, right? Man, you know, like, okay, just like, I, I get it, but I'm not going to be nitpicky about that. I'm not, not going to try and finesse their playoff spot. I just want them to get in and play whoever they, they face. That's fine. I mean, so you're saying you, you're saying you, uh, after all these times, you accept Michael Martinez's apology for making that catch in center field at Turner Field uh -huh. that eliminated the Braves and forced the Phillies to face the Cardinals that year? Yes. <laughs> because, just make look, sure you're on the record with that. Yes, because Mike Martinez. Look, that that Cardinal series was an all-time classic. It was. Okay. Yeah. And Still and the Phillies lost. Okay. All yeah. right. That happens. They played an all-time classic series, and I can live with that, especially now that it's been so many I, years. Look, anyway. I think my favorite fun fact is that the last time a Phillies player hit a home run in the playoffs, it was Ben Francisco. Rally score. Maybe that ends. I think we're getting near that. I think we're getting to the point where we might see a Phillies player hit a home run in the postseason, Paul. I mean, 
and it'll be Garrett Stubbs. He'll <laughs> be the new trivia question. He'll <laughs> be the new trivia answer. <laughs> Francis can replace my Garrett Stubbs. All right. Anyway, no, I'm, I'm not telling anybody how to, I'm not policing fandom because I know everybody hates that and I hate that. I just, I'm not focused on, I'm not focused on playoff spots. I just want them to get in. That's all I care about. I want to see them clinch. I just want to see playoff baseball again. That's all I want. There you go. All right. We'll wrap it there. Uh, from Matt Gelb at the Athletic Philadelphia, I'm Paul Boyer. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week.